Today is Mother's Day, and I'm not going to preach about mothers. Sorry, mothers. Um, But I do, before I get started in Ephesians, I I do want to just say to the women that are here that uh, you're honored and appreciated. If you're a new mom in the last year, celebrate that with you. I'm so thankful. If you're struggling with, if you've lost a child in the year, or, or if you're struggling with infertility, love you and my heart goes out to you and if you if you're not a mom if you're wanting to get married if you're if you're lonely my heart goes out to you today is a a day that we celebrate moms but it could be a day of pain for for other women and so so we love you all and uh let's hear it for the women here huh so let's talk from ephesians 4 if, if you put the verse up there, I think it's on the next slide. The last, the last verse in Ephesians 4. <clears throat> it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God. I think it's easy to read these verses and just to see that there's a command here. We need to be kind to people. Um, we need to love people. We need to forgive them. And, and just see, this is instructions. Just to read this, uh, probably if, if it was in your daily reading plan, you'd read this and you'd be reminded, oh, I need to... To kind of double down on my forgiving. I need to be reminded to be kinder again. And it might stick with you for a little while. Um, and they are commands. We're supposed to do this stuff. But I think we have to, we can stop for a second maybe and, and say why. Why do, we, why do we need to be kind to people? Why do we need to forgive? Why do we imitate God or walk in love? And the answer is, Sunday School 101 from kindergarten, but I, I forget it so much. And the answer is because God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. 100%. If you're trusting in Jesus, you're forgiven. That's just, Man, that's awesome. Can you believe it? That God would forgive you? You know you better than anybody. And God forgives that. The stuff that you don't want anybody else to know, he forgives. Why do we love people? This verse says love people. Because that's who you are now. You've been made a child of God. You've been loved by Christ. So now you can love. We can't gloss over the big stuff that the Bible says about us on the way to the command. I think we could read this and see the point is the command. That's what jumps out to us. We need to start forgiving people. We need to start loving people better. But in that is a huge statement that the Bible is saying about you. You're a child of God now. You're forgiven by God now. And I think it's just real easy just to, yes, I, I understand that. Now what am I supposed to do? And we need to let that soak in a little more, that we really are forgiven. 
So today, the goal is just um, to come away, on one hand, yeah, to be more kind and more forgiving and more tender. But that's just the behavior side of things, and that's a real goal. I really hope we come away here more forgiving, more tender, more kind. But the real focus, the main point, is to try to drive home to myself and to you guys uh, just a little bit more, a tiny bit more, that it would be a, a little more real today at the end of the service, that God really has forgiven me, that he really does love me, and that he really is my father. To, to believe, like the, the song said, that it is finished. That's the goal. Verse 32, Ephesians 4.32 says, God in Christ forgave you. So the king of the universe that you have sinned against and offended probably this morning on your way getting ready to come here, offers peace to you when you deserve hell and punishment. I think I'd get really thrilled about like uh, the governor of Missouri offering me something like, uh, here's some land, a gift from the state of Missouri, or the president saying, you know, here's, here's a million dollars that we're going to store in Fort Knox in gold. You know, these, these gifts from somebody important would be really exciting, like, he thought of me. He gave me something that I didn't deserve. And the, the king of the universe who can hold it all in his hand says, I'll make you my child. You can have the inheritance that, that Jesus gets. So the God who created everything extends to you a sinner, people who disregard him, who disobey his word, who take the breath of life for granted, assume that we're going to be fine and healthy the next day, who love other things more than we love God, think about other things more than we think about God. We do all that stuff, and he still says, I want you as my child. I'm going to send my son and kill him so that I can make you my child. I'll adopt you into my family. I'll give you my fortune. Uh, you may have heard this, but I think it's a really good picture. It's, it's like if uh, you were a parent and somebody came into your house and murdered your child and instead of demanding justice and being in front of the cameras about what a great son you just lost and, and how this person should get the death penalty if you just said, no, I'll adopt him. He can sleep in my son's room. He'll get, he'll get my son's inheritance instead. That's what God's done for us. Our sin is killed Jesus, and he said, okay, I'll adopt you now. Now that you've crucified my son, I'd like to go ahead and forgive you and, and bring you into the family. It's unbelievable. No father in the world would act like that. God's like the greatest enabler in the history of parenting. You know, Man, I'll give you life. You'll, you'll use it and offend me and You'll say you'll stop doing it, but you won't stop doing it. And he just keeps on giving forgiveness every, every time. It, I think if I saw any other parent doing the stuff God did, I'd, I'd have to be like, really? You've got to stop helping them. You know, you're, you're just financing stupidity by helping your child so much and forgiving them every time. And that's what God does to us. That's what he does to me. It's like clean slate. Every morning, okay, Brian, clean slate again. I forgot all that. <clears throat> think for a minute about what haunts you. What is it about yourself that 
you really don't like, the secret thing maybe that you don't want anybody to know about you, or a personality trait that you just can't shake no matter how many ways you try to stop being that kind of a person. Maybe a past sin that everybody knows about and you think they judge you by that, or a, or a current secret sin that nobody knows about. Those things that just nag at you. If you've trusted in Jesus, big qualifier, if you've trusted in Jesus and asked him to forgive you, it's not God that wants to haunt you with those sins. It's the enemy. That's what the Bible says. He's removed those sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says, the sins that you cannot forget, God cannot remember. He's done with those things. He says, you're my child. It's taken care of. Quit trying to add to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He took care of that. Trust it. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's what the Bible says. So quit bringing it back. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be imitators of God. Very important. As beloved children. As beloved children. That's how we are imitators of God. How does it feel to be a beloved child of God? What's it feel like? You ever just sit and be like, man, I'm God's daughter, I'm God's son. He loves me very much. The Bible says God sings songs over you. He's so glad to be your dad. I think sometimes, often, I think the hardest thing for Christians to, to really believe is that God actually loves them, that he likes them, and, and that there's nothing you can do to add to or take away from that love. That's something we have to be reminded over and over. God really does love me. The only reason that we're given these commands to love people and to forgive people and to be kind to them is, be, is because now we're God's kids. We're not given those commands so that we'll become God's kids. We're given those commands because that's who we are now if we've been adopted by God. He says, now that you're my child, imitate me. Not imitate me so that I can, once you're doing a good enough job, I'll make you my child. He said, now that you are, be like me. Now that you, since you've been forgiven, you need to forgive people. God always starts with what's true and then gives us something to do. But he, he's not saying, do stuff so that you can earn peace with me. Since you're a child, here's the life that should flow out of being God's child. It's, it's real easy to reverse that practically in our hearts. We would never say it out loud, but inside that's, that's how it feels. Our internal dialogue is, is telling us to keep God happy with us, we've got to stop messing up. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, one of the greatest things he contributed to Christianity, I think, is this. He made a distinction between, he called a theology of the cross and a theology of glory. And he, he says they're opposites. Theology of glory and a theology of, cro- of the cross. He said, Martin Luther said, by nature, people are, are theologians of glory. That, that we're addicted to being in control and to having it all together and putting our best face forward, that, that we don't like to be weak or dependent. 
that there's something in human nature that just wants to be strong and self-reliant. The thing is, the, the qualifications for being a Christianity are weakness and dependency. You can't have it together and be a Christian. That's the point of coming to Jesus. I don't, I'm weak, I need you. So, so we have this lie, I think, that kind of whispers to us that God, that God meets us at the top instead of the bottom. That God's closest to us when we're at the best instead of closest to us when we're at our worst. And this shows up, I think, um, one, one gauge of this is uh, if, we, if we commit a sin and we feel convicted about this sin. Maybe if, if you have a family, if you're rude to your family, and, you, and you're like, oh, man, that was a sin. You don't feel like going to pray to God right in that moment. You don't feel like quiet time with the Bible in that moment. You feel like, I need to put a little space between the bad thing that I did and coming to God. I hope I'm not the only one who feels that way. If I, I'm like, oh, God wouldn't want to hear from me right now, I think is the lie that I tell myself. You know, I better, if, but if I've read my Bible consistently and I haven't missed a day with the reading plan, or maybe I shared the gospel with somebody the other day, then I feel like God's a lot closer. He's meeting me at, at the top. But the message of the Bible is, and, and the message of Jesus' example, the people that he chose to spend the most of his time with were people a lot of times at the bottom in their worst situation. And he wasn't grossed out by them or, or wanted to, them to prove themselves for a little bit before he would spend time with them. But he comes near to those who obviously don't have it together. Um, the movie Rocky, the first, the first movie, the best one, um, Rocky Balboa is getting ready to uh, to fight, and he's talking to I don't know, his girlfriend or wife, Adrian, uh, girlfriend at this point I think, and uh, he's, so he's getting ready to, getting ready to fight Apollo Creed, and he says to, he says to her, "All I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed, and if I can go that distance, you see, and the bell rings, you know, and I'll still be standing." then I'll know for the first time in my life that I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. I just want to do something to, to show the world that I, I'm not a complete wreck. Can you relate to Rocky? It's like, I'm like, man, if my kids can just behave in Walmart, <laughs> then I'll know I'm not a bum. You know. Or maybe Madonna. How about Madonna? She's a real person. Um, she, she has a lot of success, right? A lot of money, especially in Europe. I mean, America, she's pretty famous. In Europe, she's like a goddess. She's done this stuff with fashion and music and just decades, right? I mean, she's owned fame. And Madonna, in an interview with Vogue magazine, this is what she said about her success. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. 
who seems more self-confident than Madonna on stage? But she said, my drive in life is this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Very honest. She's way more honest than we're willing to be. But to be honest, I read that quote, and I was like, yeah. There, there is something in there, isn't there? This, man, I might not be special. I might... I might be the worst driver I know. What if that happened? What if you were the worst driver you knew? What a shame. So that's when, we're, that's when we're listening to the lies whispering into our heads. I think in our saner moments, when the Holy Spirit uh, breaks through, in the seconds where we get a glimpse of God's grace and, and, and how big our sin is and, and how much bigger his, his grace is, then we see the theology of the cross that Martin Luther is talking about. The theology of the cross says that God is near to us when we're at our worst. He meets us in our brokenness. He's not disgusted or grossed out by us. He's right there with us. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. There's grace for this. Jesus' blood covers this. Do we really believe 2 Corinthians 12, 9 where uh, God says to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness? Or do we say, God's power meets up with our strength and then it does big things? That's kind of the message I get from the world. I'm trying to figure out what, my, what I'm supposed to be overseas, like what am I, what am I cut out to be, a team leader, or a evangelist, or an English teacher, what am, what am I supposed to be? I've, I've read some stuff about skills and, and personality traits and and it all keeps pushing me towards my strengths, right? Which is good. like figure out who you are and what you're good at, and then you, you use those things to serve people or to, to find the best job that fits you. And that's kind of the message that we get in the world a lot of times is in the Christian world is God takes the best things about you. If you can, if you can work really hard and make your best things even better, get a lot of education or a lot of discipline in your life, and his grace meets up with that, and that's when big things happen. But the Bible says God's power is made perfect. Perfect means complete. Um, complete. My power shows up the biggest in your weakness. And so Paul goes on to say, I'll boast in my weakness. I'll, I'll embrace that. I'll, I'll hug the cactus of my weakness um, and not try to hide it in my closet and get it away from me and only focus on what I'm good at. He said, my weaknesses are here and this is where God's strength shows up in my weaknesses. The good news for you here, friends, is that you're a lot worse than you think you are. So God tells us his power shows up in your weakness, and you've got a lot more of it than you realize. We are way worse than we think we are. God has never come to us when... God did not come to us when we were cleaned up and had it together and and at our best. Luke 5 and Mark 2, Jesus says, I come for the broken, the sick, uh, the unrighteous. Those are the words that he uses. I came for the sick and for the unrighteous. Because that's all there is. There's only unrighteous people. I, I I didn't come to call the righteous but the wicked because there's nothing else but wicked people. There are wicked people who don't know it, but 
but that's all there is, is wicked people. The, the best person you know is a wicked person. So what's the deal with our behavior and our actions? Why do we do the things that we do? I mean, we have these verses that say we're children of God, we've been forgiven and accepted. And I think a lot of times the daily life, it's like, why do I do the things I don't want to do sometimes? And, and why, why is my behavior like it is? And I think it's important to admit and be honest with ourselves, be honest with God, that a lot of times there's a sin under the sin of our behavior. So we keep trying to deal with actions and outward behavior, but there's something else going on that's driving that behavior. Um, For example, anger. Sometimes I get angry when I'm driving. If there's somebody who I perceive to be a stupid driver in the area, I, I get angry at that person. Whether they shouldn't have gone when the light turned green or or they cut somebody off and they could hurt somebody, they're being dangerous, and I'm like, man, I talked to Cassie, can you believe that person? That they're driving, so they should get pulled over. And a lot of times that my anger at them is because they're messing with my agenda. How dare they interrupt my schedule? Don't they know I'm in a hurry? Go, it's green. They're bumping up against the, the kingdom of Brian. And so the kingdom of Brian has to have its way. And anything that's, that's in the way of the kingdom of Brian is now stupid, and, I'm, and I get angry. So could I just have more self-control and calm down? I could. But there's something else inside. It's saying I'm more important than everybody else in these roads. My schedule matters way more than theirs. And they need to understand. Do what I need you to do. Or maybe white lies. I, was, I admitted to a friend yesterday um, I had a, last week, last week, or two weeks ago, on Tuesday, I got into a fender bender, and I, I noticed when I would tell the story of how it happened, the first few times I told, I explained the situation, the play-by-play, I was, I was taking responsibility and admitting that I, that I made a mistake and I stuck the nose of the car too far out into the intersection. And so, so and, I, and then I, I would like, I'd tell it and take responsibility, I'm like, Brian, Wow. Good job. You accepted responsibility for something that you messed up on. Like, that's growth. And then, I, then a couple days later, I'd be telling the story to a new person, and I'd start to shift blame a little bit more onto the, the other person in the accident and, and talk about how, it's, you know, they, it's probably their fault. Um, why did I do that? Why do I shift blame? Even Because this is the honest truth, I hope. I can't be too honest, right? You guys might stop supporting us. Um, um, the truth is I need to look good in people's eyes and I would have a really hard time with people that I respect thinking I'm a bad driver or irresponsible and so if I can tell the story and this is just happening in the second I'm not thinking it through and premeditating how to deceive people but in the second I choose words and phrases that make me look a little better than just the straight honest truth right we I, th- I think, I hope, in one sense, I hope not, but it would make me feel better about myself. I think we all struggle with this, right? We, we, when we retell the story, we make ourselves look a little bit better, and we can cast blame on the person who's not there a little bit. The reason we do that is because we're searching, down, down at the deepest level, I think, the reason we do that is because we're searching for an identity in that person's eyes that we're telling the story to. Sure, God approves of me. I'm a son. I have 
heaven waiting for me. But I also really need you to think I'm a good driver. That's the, it's like, the, it's like we have this ocean of God's love and forgiveness. Like, no, no end to the ocean in sight. It's just, just ocean. This is how much I love you and how much grace I have for you. But I need this guy's approval. I need him to think I'm a good driver and put an eye drop of water in that ocean. That's how insane it is to need the approval of people. So, so if, if I had the reputation of being the most responsible guy who doesn't make mistakes, I could be putting an eye drop of approval into the, mount, in, into the ocean of approval that God has already given me. Um, so we can, we can fix behavior, but it's like sometimes, I think, chopping the fin off of a, a shark. If you're at a beach and you see this shark coming, you get your kids out of the water, call the lifeguard or the coast guard or whatever to uh, warn them. And if somebody just went out into the ocean and chopped all the fins off of sharks so you couldn't see them anymore, they'd still be sharks under the water. And if I can hold all my white lies and not do them anymore, if I can, if I can um, keep my anger when I'm frustrated at people inside and turn it off, there's, there's still, if I don't believe the gospel, and if I don't really rest in the approval that I have from God and the forgiveness that I have from God, all I'm doing is chopping the fin off the shark, and it's still in there. I just, I've just made it so nobody can see it anymore. So we have to really make sure that our self-control and our discipline is as important as they are. I don't want to be an angry person anymore, but I, I, I want to become a less angry person from believing the truth about what God says about me. If you look at the passage in your Bible, if you have your Bible open, there's a list of sins above and below these verses. Different things about you know, being rude to people or sexual immorality and, and all kinds of sins. And I think those are the sins that happen, some of the sins that happen, when we're searching for an identity somewhere else besides God. We start to do these activities in some way to give us satisfaction or peace inside or identity inside. Some people because of the, their, their values and their personality, they'd run to breaking all the rules, and that would give them identity and make them feel good. If they could just um, have all kinds of relationships with, with people that they find attractive, or if they could uh, do illegal substances or something, that would make them feel good and give them an identity. They'd find it in being really bad. Or some people try to find that identity in keeping all the rules and being really good. But both of them are, are searching for this peace inside instead of receiving their identity as a child of God. They're trying to go out and create it on their own. J.I. Packer, who's uh, an old, uh, still alive, um, but really old uh, Bible theologian, he said, every Christian, when they sin, is suffering from an identity crisis. I, I love that quote. He's like, you're, you're forgetting who you are for a second when you sin. As a child of God now, everything's met. There's no need for sin. It's not oblig- uh, obligatory anymore. You're not obligated to sin. You don't have to, in one sense. But you, you have this identity crisis for a second, and, and you do it. You forget inside who you are. Even me preaching this morning has this battle, this identity crisis battle going on, because it's like, on one hand, I want to uh, worship God in front of you guys. Just enjoy the Bible up here, and, and serve you, and, and maybe give you something good 
to think about. Those are all not sinful motivations for preaching. Those are, those are the right reasons you should get up and preach. And on the other hand, in my preparation and, and just um, getting ready to preach, I want to do really good. I want people to think I'm a good preacher. You know? And, it, and it's like, this, that's life, I think. That, that tension. What's, which identity am I going to feed? Which identity is going to be enough? If, if you're the worst driver or the worst preacher, would Jesus be enough? If you're the worst parent and all your kids turned out terrible, I mean like atheists and got gender change surgeries, and I mean you're like said, said my parents were horrible parents and they went around to- telling everybody about it and wrote a book about the oppressive Christian life they grew up in, would Jesus still be enough if none of those goals that you're banking on turn out? Uh, John Piper, pastor and author, I think he would say that this is the search for pleasure. Everyone's, he says everyone's looking for pleasure. People who go to war and people who stay away from war. People who commit suicide and people who do everything they can to stay healthy. Everyone's looking for pleasure. And that's kind of his message that, that God is the ultimate pleasure. And I th- I'm just kind of substituting the word identity for that today. I think everyone's looking for identity. Something to satisfy them inside and to let them know who they are. Prayer and Bible study aren't the things that keep me in God's good graces. This is just an illustration that came to mind because it's real for me. I, you know, I go back and forth with my motivations for prayer and Bible study. There aren't so, it's not something I do to keep God happy with me, but these are the rendezvous points where I meet up with my Father and I get reminded how much He loves me and how great He is in this world. And so it's a, a way better reason to come to him in, in prayer and in Bible study. Say, I'm going to go, he's promised to meet with me here. I got to have that. I can't, I can't make it through this day believing I'm God's child if I don't meet up with him and hear from him somehow. But, but what, what happens if the plans get wrecked and your, your kid's throwing up and you didn't get your quiet time that day? He's still there. He's just as happy with you. You can't add to or take away from the love of God. <clears throat> so what do we do with all this? I'm going to try to wrap up here. What do we do with all this, this being God's child or um, the, the honesty, I hope, that's going inside that says, man, I really do look for identity in a lot of places. Um, I think Jesus would tell us to repent. Think that's what, I think that's what Jesus would say if, if I said, I want to believe more, God, that, I, that I'm your son. I want to get more of my identity from you. I think Jesus would, would say back, repent. When we repent, when we're honest with God and with other people about our sin, um, it opens up room in our hearts for living waters to flow, for joy to come back in, and, and for peace, for the Holy Spirit to work. When we repent, when we harden our hearts and refuse to repent, it chokes off that living water and, and less truth can come in. So, so how do we repent to open up space for these living waters to run? I have three practical tips for you. One is to ask God to show you what might be blocking you from fellowship with him. Just to pray and say, God, do, 
what is it? What lies am I believing? What, what things am I idolizing? Whose approval uh, am I idolizing? What am I treasuring? What am I putting my hope in? Is there anything blocking you and me, me from believing your promises? That means just to be severely honest, painfully honest with God about what's going on inside. He can take it. He already knows the gross things about you, the secret things about you. He already knows those. So to to admit it to him, to repent of it to him, is peace and freedom. You're not going to surprise him. He... Murderers and prostitutes, he openly accepted. So when you've covered murdering people and and sexual sins, your stuff probably doesn't get any worse than those two categories. Take those to God and be honest. Secondly, ask God to, to break your heart over your sinful nature more than over your sinful actions. That I'd be way more concerned about what's going on inside than outside. Because it's a, a lot of times, guys, it's easy to just manage what's going on outside and be satisfied. I've done a lot better with my outside stuff and to give myself this false sense of security. But to really be as ashamed, be, be as desperate for his change on the inside as I am on the outside. And then the third thing, the last thing, is to treasure Christ's atonement more than your own atonement. To view his sacrifice and his life better than your behavior and actions that you can add on to what he's done. That your sin or your self-righteousness would stop paying off to task God. Would, would, would that, those things, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you'll mess up in your self-righteousness facade that you have will come crashing down and people will see the truth about what's going on. That could be a huge gift from God for the truth to come out. That whatever you're doing to be your own savior would stop paying off and that you'd really be hungry, that I'd really be hungry for God instead of my own atonement. So this is our amazing hope that we are beloved children of God. That's what the Bible says. It's God's word. We know it's true. We are his beloved children. We're forgiven because of Christ. There's no more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation for us. It's basic, but man, I need to hear that again. He took it all. So we have a God who has forgiven us and adopted us, made us his sons and daughters. And he says, okay, you're my kids now. Love people. Forgive people. I forgave you. When you remember that you're God's child, you can imitate him in the world. Imitate me, he says. I love you. And so we praise God for that today. Now we're going to celebrate this, the gospel, with the Lord's Supper. Um, We do the Lord's Supper here at at BC um, by stand up and and go get it in the back and then uh, take it and sit at your seat. You can take the Lord's Supper back there and then come sit at your seat and kind of spend some time in prayer and and, uh, worship personally, privately with God. And then I think there'll be a song here in a few minutes. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, whenever you want to, just go back and quietly take of the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you Father. We ask that you help us to believe 
that you really are happy with us, that you're a pleased dad, um, and that our our actions don't add to and take away from the amount that you love us, that it's secure forever in Jesus' blood. Um, God, what a God we have who would send his own son in human flesh to die for us and, and change us from being your enemies to your children. So we praise you and we thank you. We ask that other people would hear this, that our lives, our day-to-day lives would have some love in them because of how much we've been loved by you. Thank you for this great gospel. And please remind us of it this week in those moments when we got to have success or we got to have approval or we got to break the rules. Remind us that you offer entrance into your family. Thank you for Jesus. Father, who died to take our sins away. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.